welcome to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Jamin Edis, co-founder of Dash, a connected car company. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm here with Jamin Edis. Uh, he's co-founder and CEO of Dash. Uh, why don't you describe what you guys are working on now and how it all fits into a better future? Sure. So, well, first of all, thanks for having me uh, mm-hmm. on the show. I appreciate that. So, Dash, uh, we set out to build a connected car platform. Um, and to sort of put that into more product uh, sensibility, we have a hardware and mobile software approach to connecting your phone to your vehicle um, with a low cost device called an OBD, an onboard diagnostic device, plugged mm-hmm. into any vehicle in the last 20 years. And then we gather data on your driver performance, sorry, your driver behavior and your vehicle performance. So, how do we use that data? I mean, there are obviously um, product feature sets, but as an outcome, uh, what we're looking to do is make driving smarter, safer, greener, and more affordable for people. And so we we uh, we try and provide you the tools to do that. Um, so that's the sort of the the utopian part of what it is we're trying to do. It's very mission driven as a company and as as founders, Brian Langle and myself, uh, really. Um, uh, are particularly passionate around that safety issue. And it's one of the reasons why we're excited to be working with things like the DOT here in New York uh, and part of uh, Bill de Blasio's Vision Zero plan to reduce pedestrian fatalities or traffic-related fatalities to zero, um, which is obviously something that gets us out of bed every day. Hmm. Okay, so... What so these little guys these this these fit in? There's a port underneath like the uh, the dashboard, right? And you you stick you stick this little thing in there, and what is it? What sort of data is it reply is it supplying? Yeah. So the, the port, um, if you haven't done so before, I, I encourage you to get on your hands and knees and, and look. In yeah, the, it's kind in of the, a pain. Yeah, but... <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's essentially like a, you know, a sort of a larger footprint than a USB. But this is a, a self-installed device. You plug it in one time, two seconds. Um, it runs off the battery of your vehicle. Uh, so there's none of the kind of um, issues that you get with fitness trackers and smartwatches of running out of battery. This just runs off uh, the car battery, and then you pair it with either Bluetooth 2, Bluetooth 4, Wi-Fi, or cellular. Um, now, the data that's coming out of the vehicle um, is, is, is regulated by the government. Um, so it's been the same generic data set for the last 20 years. Um, and that'll give you things uh, like you know, the speed that you're going, the engine temperature, your fuel levels, all of the usual suspects that you'll get from under the hood of the vehicle. And bear in mind, you know, this is the same data that your mechanic can tap into when your engine light flashes off, um, and, and they'll diagnose that issue. Um, that's only one of the data sets you can gather. The, the second one from under the vehicle is proprietary data that the OEMs um, typically keep for themselves and then resell. That is data sets that... Uh, you know, might be for the new windshield wiper array or backup sensors or, or some other uh, esoteric sensor in a vehicle. Because bear in mind that, you know, a 2016 
sorry, a 2016 Audi, yeah, is very different to a 1996 Toyota. There's 20 years worth of evolution in those sensors. Mm -hmm. But the same underlying sensor arrays uh, are available. Um, we pair that with the phone sensors. We pair it with the demographic information on the driver upon registration. And then we correlate that as well with things like um, uh, what we call ambient information to do with driving. Uh, that, that'll be weather, it'll be traffic patterns, it'll be road conditions, and we pull all of that data together. Now, oftentimes, some of the data coming out of the car will be very boring. It'll be a, you know, a one or a zero. Okay, does it have this trouble code? Answer, no. Um, but when you start looking at some of those driving behaviors uh, correlated with vehicle performance and road conditions, you can see some very interesting uh, insights. Hmm, okay. So the, so the road conditions are based on... Road conditions are based on mapping, and then the and then the data is based on the stuff that comes out of the car. So, what is the right. what is the future? I guess the question is, what is the future of of a connected car like this? First off, are we going to have cars that are a lot a lot uh, a lot more a lot more connected now in the in the next few years uh, without these little without these little dongles? And what yeah. sort of data can you pull out of a car uh, that we don't that we're not currently pulling? Yeah, so it's interesting to look at it from a more sort of macro level. So um, number one, the data that's accessible via these ports is, is accessible on 20 years worth of vehicles. So uh, you know, we're concerned initially with the retroactive uh, and smartening of dumb vehicles, basically. And uh, you know, if we do our job right, then we should be uh, continually improving that for the next 20 years worth of vehicles until you know, self-driving cars become more mainstream. And we should, we should talk about that sort of thesis as well. Um, so th there's a, a big addressable market today. People tend to hold on to their cars for five to seven years, and cars tend to stay on the road for an average of 10 years. So even if we didn't do anything different, uh, uh, from today, which is obviously foolish as a, as a startup uh, company, but even if we didn't change anything, then we should in principle still be you know, valuable for 10 more years uh, with our current feature set. Um, so that, that's, that's one perspective. Um, the second thing is, you, know, you talk about um, mobility and, and sort of connected services today. Even if you look at cars rolling off the lot today in 2016 and look out at the fleets of 2017, um, there's still a fairly limited range of what you might define as connectivity. Because on the one hand, you know, connecting your phone to your vehicle with a device or just using you know, uh, privileged access to the Bluetooth to connect to the, to the car, um, which the manufacturers can do with their own mobile suite, um, that, that, that's only one shade of connectivity. You know, some of them have their own Wi-Fi hotspots in them. Some of them will speak to road infrastructure and to dealership CRM and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes people think about connected car as um, you know, the, the next generation of digital dashboard in the vehicle. And you look at Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. And then you pull that all the way out to you know, fully autonomous self-driving vehicles. That's a pretty long spectrum. And it takes a pretty, I mean, even if you speak to the people at Google, and maybe there is a bit of expectation management here, but even the people working on those projects tend to say that it is about 20 to 25 years away from mainstream because it's more than just tackling the technical pro problem. It's the regulatory landscape. It's the in infrastructure um, hurdle. And frankly, the, the consumer readiness for self-driving car. Because mm -hmm. if, you, if you, I don't know if you've been in a Tesla and, and, and experienced the, the autopilot mode, 
Uh, I was in a Tesla in Seattle last month, and my friend hit the, the button, and the damn car started to veer into the oncoming traffic lane. <laughs> I did, uh, now, that, that's, that's, look, Tesla's do amazing cars. Elon Musk is, is an amazing uh, individual, and it's a great company. But it's, you know, things are not ready for prime time. The self-driving car can't even see the lane markings on a snowy road right now. So um, we're still an awful, awful long way. And I think you're going to require a generational change, not only in technology, um, but in infrastructure and consumer readiness before self-driving car is a real mainstream thing. So there's lots of different strands of mobility and connectedness until we get there. And our approach today, again, is a snapshot of what we're doing as a company. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to solve for the next six or 12 months. And, you know, what, what our roadmap looks like in a year or 36 months is, is pretty different. So if we can keep doing our job well, we'll, we'll still be around to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so bottom line, when are we going to see self-driving cars that, that are actually working, right? Well, you can you can go and see them now. You can see them but at a racetrack. When are, we, when are we all going to? Yeah, exactly. You can see them at a race track. When are right. we all going to? When are we all going to be riding around on them? Yeah, I mean, I, again, you know, the, if you take that racetrack um, sort of scenario, and then you just you keep um, uh, increasing the circle from that, right? So it goes from sure a racetrack to a municipality to uh, a state or county to a state to a country, uh, to multiple geographies. I mean, everything is going to happen at differing times. Um, you know, I think, I think self-driving um, has been, quote-unquote, approved in a, in a handful, probably one handful of states in the U.S., but, you know, what does that mean for China and Russia and Germany and the rest of the European Union? Um, what does it mean on a federal level here in the U.S.? It's, uh, it's still very, very complicated, and again, I think if you ask me to give you a blanket statement about when will it be mainstream for most people within reach to, to have self-driving vehicles, I think uh, you are looking at a generation and it is 20 years away. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's talking about these things coming sooner than later. So I think one of the, one of the biggest questions, especially about self-driving stuff, is what happens when uh, millions of essentially 18 to 34-year-old men who are basically dedicated their lives to driving taxis and trucks and everything are basically replaced by robots. Uh, what happened, what's, what does that world look like after that happens? Well, I mean, I think we, we've all seen um, uh, analogies, right? Whether it's manufacturing going offshore, um, whether it's the, sort of the outsourcing even of, of, of sort of high-end or quote-unquote high-quality jobs like software development going offshore we've seen this happen and we've all survived and if 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 uh, if countries and societies are in stasis then then frankly they they deserve to be reduced um what i will say is that uh what's what's interesting is that trucking is the number one job in the u.s mm -hmm. and actually if you look at many countries outside of the u.s it's also the number one uh, job so i think uh, if you are any cohort of drivers who would be most worried i think Truckers um, are the ones who should be. Mm -hmm. But even then, I mean, um, there was just this company that came out of stealth last week, um, at least in certain quarters, called uh, Otto, which is, I, I think, funded by, by Google or their ex-Google engineers. Sure. And they are uh, retrofitting, I believe, uh, existing uh, truck fleets with self-driving um, technology. The, the problem is that doesn't address the, the fundamental hub-and-spoke infrastructure of trucking. You still need all that last-mile stuff. You need to undock it. From, uh, you know, from, from one truck to a smaller set of, like, that requires people. And so you can look, at, you know, if you look, at, if you look at shipping, I think that's probably the best analogy for where the computerization of trucking and driving in general will go. Um, you know, if you think about cranes and dock workers and how that generally got degraded and replaced, mm -hmm. um, I think that's, 
you know, and even that took a long time because, you know, and what, what one of the biggest hurdles there was unions. I think you get the same thing happening for uh, trucking or driving um, based unions. And uh, um, yeah, I would, I would, you know, my, my kids, am I going to suggest that they uh, try and become professional drivers? Not unless they're going to replace Danica Patrick. No. Sure. Okay. So the, so the mission there is to, is to basically wean the humanity away from, uh, away from driving essentially. Well, I, I don't think that's, um, I mean, certainly not our mission at all. You know, what, what we as a company as Dash want to do is try and, and uh, as empower drivers um, to drive smarter every day and, and make vehicle ownership and, uh, and maintenance and uh, you know, easier on all of us. Um, that's, that's what our mission is. And the, um, I, I think that, you know, if you turn to any of the teams who are trying to build these self-driving uh, companies, um, uh, sensors and, and chassis and, uh, in the valley, I, I doubt many of them would say their primary goal is to remove the humanity from driving. But there are obviously um, there are obviously uh, cohorts of drivers who will never want to cede control of their you know their stick shift and their steering wheel and their gas pedal. And there's a great romance involved in, in driving, and uh, and there are a lot of ancillary industries involved in driving that um, that cater to that humanity of driving. I think um, it's it's like um, you know, it's like any form of travel. There are more efficient ways than strapping a backpack on your back and jumping on a train from, uh, you know, Beijing to Moscow. But, you know, damn it, if I wasn't going to do that Trans-Siberian Railway, um, I did it for the, for, for the story and for the adventure. And I think there's the same kind of romance in, in driving that people are not going to give up. I think the, 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 the bigger question becomes what happens when the regulatory environment or governments impose legislation that makes you give up certain aspects of that control? Um, you know, what happens when insurance companies will not insure anyone but a self-driving vehicle? If that's what they're in the business of doing, hmm. insurance, it's up to them uh, to, to say who they want to insure. And then, of course, you'll find specialist insurers who pop up to cater to the quote-unquote risky drivers who control their own car. So sure. it's going to be very, very interesting to see how it evolves. But what I can, uh, with some sweeping generalization, <laughs> state from my end is it's not going to happen overnight. There's simply too many moving parts to it. Um, and you know, human behavior and psychology is a tough thing to replace overnight. Okay. So what does the, what does the world look like in, in 20 years? What is, so you said, you said it's going to take a good generation, uh, for things to change. What are, what do the roads look like? What is, what does your company look like in 20 years? Um, hopefully still in business. So, but, but, but uh, you know, if, if, uh, without being too glib, what do the roads look like? I think you are going to find, um, certain, uh, channels, routes, Road types, uh, whether um, uh, whether commuter lanes, whether uh, interstate, intercity highways, I think you're going to see the equivalent of a you know HOV lane for self-driving vehicles creeping in and taking more and more lanes. Um, I think that um, people will still go from point A to point B, whether that's a joyride, a commute, uh, a carpooling for soccer games, uh, people will still need to get to point A to point B. I think the more interesting thing is, I mean, you'll see more sensors, of course, on vehicles and then around roads and bridges and, and et cetera. Um, I think you'll see lives saved. I think you'll see more efficiency. I think you'll see, um, a, a reduced impact on the environment. Those are all positive things mm -hmm. that we can anticipate. I think the more interesting question becomes, what, what's going on inside the vehicle? Because people will st still need to go from home to school or from home to their work. 
Uh, it's not like the virtualization of, of the workforce has wiped out our need to have offices. Um, so the question is, now you have an hour free per day, what are you going to do with that? And, and you know, the slightly depressing view is you're going to have another hour to play Angry Birds. And I think that, <laughs> you know, because it goes back to what I was saying earlier on about the, the, the psychology and, and the human behaviors of all this kind of stuff. You know, I, it, it would be great if cars for an hour a day became extended classrooms. Um, um, and, uh, but at the end of the day, people have a limited amount of attention and energy, and maybe people will sleep for an hour more a day. Who, who knows? Uh, we will find a way to fill that time, and it won't necessarily be uh, glamorous or uh, world-improving on the inside of the vehicle, but there will be a lot of money to be made inside that vehicle when you're not, um, when you're not controlling it. Hmm, and I think that's what a lot of these companies... I mean, if you think about the overall mission of people like... Google or Facebook and connecting people or monetizing what they do on the web. Um, I think, you know, ultimately if you can, um, I mean, think, think about the pre-mobile world, right? We used to have to get to our desktops or our laptops to get online to use Google services. And mobility, and the reason they gave Android away was because they realized that there were periods uh, around when you sat static where you could benefit from having access to the web and mobile was the way that you did it. Um, now when your eyes don't need to look out the road and they can look down, that's, that's their real estate. And I think the moves that they are going to make on trying to uh, get your attention during that extra hour a day will be the most um, eye-opening. Interesting. So we're going to... So Travel is still going to be travel. We're not going to be. We're not going to speed it up to the speed of light. So we're still going to be dealing with all sorts of. We're still doing the issue of hanging out in, uh, hanging out inside of a car, right? So that's a really interesting. Right. That's an interesting concept. Yeah. So that, that's definitely one thing I would I would sort of caution against too much hyperbole that you inevitably get around self-driving cars is what do you do when you get that hour back? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think you'll you will obviously you'll you'll see changes in in downstream um, activities, things like vehicle ownership and maintenance and what are the implications for, uh, for that. I think you're going to train a generation of people to expect not to own vehicles um, and, uh, and you know, who's, who's going to be in the best position to monetize that, uh, what happens to those extra dollars. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, if you think about our mobile bills, our cell bills, I mean, I remember back in Europe when I first got my my mobile phone in 1997, it seemed outrageous to pay, you know, 25 pounds for uh, what was a second landline, really. Mm -hmm. And um, and but now, you know, we we probably by the time you've added in all your fees and device amortization and all that kind of stuff, these days we probably don't blink at a hundred or 150 dollar bill. Many of us. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, who's gonna? Who, are we gonna? increase the, the size of the wallet of, of what people or what companies can take from point A to point B and if so who's going to grab it is it GM is it is it Google is it Uber or is it some other new entrant who is going to appear between now and the next 20 years hmm. fascinating alright so that's very very cool so where can people find out more about uh, Dash and what you guys are working on yeah so um, if you go to dashmobile.co uh, and you can also find us through uh, dash.myc that will take you to our website, and uh, you know, right now what that does is it, it will showcase uh, the software functions on Android and iOS and where you can buy the devices, um, and our, our reference device is $60, but you can buy devices as cheaply as $5. Um, and then you, know, you'll, you can also read about some of the stuff that we are doing with organizations like the Department of Transportation, um, insurance companies, fleets, 
um, and uh, and car manufacturers and dealerships as well. Because frankly, from a from an IoT perspective, if you look at the Internet of Things, I see you're going to. I believe you know whether it's ourselves or other companies in the space that you're going to see a real um, a, a real move towards enterprise for the commercialization of these technologies. Because I think there's a fairly limited um, uh, span of interest for simply gadgets bolting onto a smart home or a wrist or a car. And I think really the secret source will be services, software, and data. Uh, and that's certainly where we're placing our bets in the long term. All right, very cool. All right, so thank you very much for joining us on Technotopia, podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Thanks.